Let's pray. Mighty Lord and Everlasting Father, we come before you desiring to know more about who you are and how you deal with us and how we should act before you, how we should be people of faith. We ask, O Lord, that you would give us great grace as we study your word this morning, as we look to these cycles now of Abram and Lot, what it is that's going on with them. We ask, O God, that you would teach us from your word how we should act, how we should conduct ourselves, where we should have our heart, soul, and mind set in place. We so ask that your spirit would help us this morning as we hear the word preached and as the preaching of the word occurs, we ask that the unction of the spirit would attend it and that you would aid us to hear well. We so pray, O God, these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Let's look at Genesis chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Then Abram went up from Egypt, and he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold, and he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar, which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them, that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please, let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or, if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go towards Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift your eyes now, and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever, and I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent, and went and dwelt by the turban trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. Here we find, or we begin in these narratives, the cycles of Abram and Lot. Now, it's, I want you to take particular notice, which we'll touch on as we move through the passage, that Abram learned his lesson. 
He learned his lesson from the last chapter and being rebuked by Pharaoh, not being spiritually minded. Here we find him very much spiritually minded. The cycles of Abram and Lot are subplots to the whole narratives that we're reading here. It's like a story within a story. There is an emphasis on the way people choose to do what they do. And that's important in reading this particular section of Scripture. Because here it's very much a heart story. Abram's actions towards Lot shadows the actions of Israel towards Moab and Ammon, Lot's descendants, as it says in Deuteronomy 2. And when we pass beyond our brethren, the descendants of Esau, who dwell in Seir, away from the road of the plain, away from Elath and Ezen-Geber, we turned and passed by the way of the wilderness of Moab. Then the Lord said to me, Do not harass Moab, nor contend with them in battle, for I will not give you any of their land as a possession, because I have given Ar to the descendants of Lot as a possession. So we find that there's something that Moses wants to tell the Israelites as a result of reading this particular portion of the scriptures that God has given him. Now, let's start with looking at the first four verses. Abram returns to the promised land and he worships. He returned as a very wealthy man. After going down to Egypt, in the first couple of verses, it says that he was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And upon his return, being so rich, he then built an altar, and again, he proclaimed his faith where he was. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel, to the place where he was in the beginning, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. He calls on God's name. He proclaims his name just as he has done before. He worships God. He gives testimony to God. Before we saw when he left his father's tents, his father's house, he had proclaimed it in Haran, and people followed and proselytized as a result. Again here, he not only calls out on the name of the Lord, but the idea behind it is that he proclaims the name of the Lord. Now, we also have a problem. Lot was also wealthy, and the land could not sustain both of them. Genesis 13:5-6 says that the land was not able to support or sustain them. The possessions were so great. Now, the land here is mentioned seven times. So, the land is important. Moses wants you to get the point that the land means something. And this land that's mentioned over and over cannot sustain or bear or carry these two large groups of people. And as a result, strife breaks out between them because they're running into one another. They can't do the basics of working together. The Canaanites were in the land, as the text says, and and probably they were settled in the best parts of the land. So, Abram and Lot had to settle for the lesser parts. And because of their wealth, they couldn't stay in the same place. And they were fighting. Their herdsmen were fighting, and strife and contention broke out among them. I mean, was the land truly flowing with milk and honey? This is the land that God is going to give his people. But they had not yet possessed the land. 
the Canaanites were not driven out of the land. And they were vulnerable to attack because of the problems that they were having just being situated on the land. So, Abram, by faith, becomes unselfish. And Lot becomes selfish by sight. We're dealing with seeing by faith, seeing by sight here. Cain didn't want to be his brother's keeper. Abram still does. He wants the strife to stop. So, he allows Lot to choose the land he wishes to go. Abram says to Lot, please, let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole of the land before you? Isn't this the land that God is giving Abram? Why is Abram suddenly giving it away? Please, separate from me. If you take the left, then I'll go to the right. Or if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Whatever you choose, that will be what we'll do. So what does Lot do? Lot chooses the most fertile land at the expense of his uncle. He lifted his eyes, he saw all of the plain, and it was well watered where he saw, and that's where he wanted to go. The words, and saw, means that he just didn't see it. He actually went out to inspect it closely. He made an intense survey of the land. He checked it out. And there's a note connected with the land that he inspected closely or saw. Moses wants us to be reminded of the destruction coming because of the wickedness of these people. It says that Sodom and Gomorrah, the men of Sodom, were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Lot's choice, then, is going to be a bad choice. These Sodomites are wickedly evil. And the wording here is as if to say they are even below the normal sinner. That's how wicked they were. The use of the word evil is linked to the same use during the time just previous to the flood. That's how wicked the people are. And there are a few places throughout the scriptures that show the intensity of how sinners are as in this place. Lot's choice then was selfishly motivated. Abram's was not. Calvin, commenting on this verse, says, Our eyes are not to be trusted, and we should never be ensnared by them. Lot is being ensnared. So, Abram's generous actions are rewarded by God with a furthering of the promise in verses 14 to 18. The Lord then comes to him, even after Lot chooses the best land, even after Lot goes to the best, most well-watered place, God comes to Abram and says to him, look around, I'm giving it all to you. And so, he moved his tent, he went back to where the terebinth trees of Mamre were, which are in Hebron, he built an altar there, and he worshipped again. Abram receives a reaffirmation of the promises. It didn't really matter now what Lot chose. It doesn't matter what he thought was good, even if it seemed to be better than what Abram was getting. God tells him to lift up his eyes and to see what he is going to give him. 
Lot chose a region. Ram looked at all of it. Lot walked around and surveyed the land and chose a portion. Abram was given all of it and then was told to walk through it. Remember, Enoch walked with God. Noah walked with God. Abram, walk with me and let me show you what I am giving you. So, Abram now shows himself with unswerving devotion to God and he worships him again and he calls on his name and he gives him praise for his attributes and his being. He calls on the name of Yahweh, the I Am. Abram's speech gives Lot the land he chooses. But in God's speech, he gives Abram all the land without choice at all. He gives everything to him, regardless of what Lot had done. Now, in thinking about what this text is going to do for us, the first thing is we have to see a little bit of a parallel between Abram in Egypt before Pharaoh and Lot in Sodom with sinners. We have to keep that in mind. Both are away from their home. Both are among the pagans. Both relied on their own scheme to get them through. In Abram's case, it was to save his life. In Lot's case, it was to sustain his life. Both end up in a miserable condition because of the problems they created. But here, in this particular portion, and what's going on, Abram has learned his lesson. And he becomes charitable towards Lot because of his strength and faith. And Lot has yet to learn a lesson. And he's not only going to learn that lesson, but he's going to learn some other lessons as well, and the hard way. Abraham is not going to make the same mistake again. He's going to trust in the promises of God. He's going to trust in the work that God does on his behalf. And it is a reprise here, the way that it's set up in order. It is a rerun. It is as if Moses wants us to see, or he wants us to say, Oh, we've seen this episode before. We've seen the same problem come up. We've seen men trying to take things into their own hands. But in this episode, there is a contrast because it's not just one character, it's two. And it's the learned one and the learner. The fleshly and the faithful. That you have to keep in mind completely or you'll miss the point of the passage overall. Here's the first thing we have to be thinking about concerning this particular passage of Scripture. Walking by sight shows no awareness of God's plan or promises. Walking by sight shows no awareness of God's plan or promises. Walking by sight is misleading. When people trust in themselves, they are misled, for they do not have the power to know what shall be. They can't tell the future. They don't know what the future holds. But they walk by sight, and they think that seeing is going to help them. Seeing is going to make everything okay. We see what Lot wanted to do. Lot went and he saw. But we also never see him ever in any of these places calling upon the name of the Lord. We never see him acting that way. He is leading himself without faith, leading himself by sight. 
leading himself and really misleading himself into danger. Christians do not have the capability to lead themselves. Every time they do so, every time they create some kind of plan for themselves or some kind of destiny for themselves or choosing what they think is the best road or the right way, they're leading themselves into a pit. Walking by sight is misleading. Walking by sight is also doing that which is temporary. There is a way which seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Proverbs 4.12, a very simple proverb. When people don't rely on God, the solutions are really band-aids. They aren't God's plan. They are their own schemed, devised plan that often falls apart very quickly. And every single time you see that in the scriptures, every single time that someone schemes on their own account in their own accord in some way or another, it always comes to naught. When people don't rely on God, the solution are usually just a band-aid, a temporary fix or something that seems right just for a little time. And that's exactly what happened with Lot. He went out and he planted his tents outside the region of Sodom. Now, as we move further in the narrative, we find that so his tents moved closer. As a matter of fact, it takes up residence. As a matter of fact, he begins to work with them. And it goes further and further and further. Walking by sight is misleading. Walking by sight is temporary. Walking by sight is fleshly. It demonstrates a fleshly power. It is by people's own doing and by their own strength. But, cursed is the one who trusts in man and depends on his flesh for his strength and his heart turns away from the Lord, Jeremiah says. The passage is in the same context as depravity. It's Moses' comment. The men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked. Why would you even want to hang out with these people? Whenever people trust themselves, they turn away from God. And good people can throw themselves into bad situations. Abram did when he went to Egypt, and Lot is as he's going to Sodom. Only faith can overcome the selfish fleshliness of Lot. It's the darkness of man's plan over and against the light of God's plan. That is why in this particular passage, Lot is contrasted with Abram. Walking by sight is misleading. It's temporary. It's of fleshly power. And walking by sight gets no blessing of God in the end. God doesn't bless sin. God punishes sin. He punishes the acts of the flesh. Keep in mind... When you see Lot go into Sodom with his three family members, his wife and his two daughters, he ultimately comes out of Sodom with two daughters, loses his wife, and then loses his two daughters to amorality. Walking in the sinful nature will always blind people to God's ultimate plan. He was looking with his eyes. It's misleading. It's temporary. It's fleshly. It has no power and it gets no blessing in the end. Rather... It makes men miserable because they think that which they're doing is good actually is the reverse of God's plan. The second thing I want you to think about is that walking by faith 
not sight, walking by faith, shows an awareness of God's plan and his promises. Walking by faith is reassuring. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lead not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Proverbs 3, 5. He who despises the word will be destroyed, but he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. Proverbs 13, 13. It's reassuring to know that God is looking out for our best interest, that God's plan is set for the best interest of his elect remnant. If the book of Romans was written in a bronze day, he would have been quoting Romans 8.28. All things work for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. People who walk by faith assess their present situation in light of their assurance that they have in the promises of God in the future. That's what they rest on. They don't rest on what they see. God's power on their side allows them to tell Lot that it's okay. Go out and get the best land. Go choose what you want. Because Abram was not trusting in his own power. He was trusting in what God told him, which he didn't do the last chapter. Which he does do after learning the lesson. Walking by faith is also eternal instead of temporary. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Galatians 6, 9. Or, therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Knowing that your labor is not in vain. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. That is why I think it's so poignant from Pilgrim's Progress when Bunyan shows passion and patience. The interpreter is explaining things to Christian. And there in this room is passion and patience. And passion wants what he wants right now. Things by sight. But patience is patient. And he will take things as they are so given to him. People often do not want to wait, but that demonstrates that they are walking by sight and not faith. Lost people like passion, don't want to wait for a better reward. They would much rather have the land of the Jordan right now, the best, most well-watered portions, than have the whole land later on. It's an eternal perspective that people must have, that people must walk by faith. Walking by faith is also spiritual. It's not fleshly. It is by God's doing and by the Spirit's strength. Faith is that which the Spirit must do in us, impress us, and enliven in us. For it is by grace we have been saved, through faith. And this, and not just the grace, but both, everything as a matter of fact, from the first chapter up until that point is what Paul is talking about, the this is a gift of God. Not my works, lest any man should boast. Faith is that which the Spirit must work in us. That's why Christ says that the Spirit works in John 3 like the wind, and he blows, and he changes men's hearts, and gives them the ability to believe. Faith acting is a reflex 
of what the Spirit does. It's complete and utter dependence and action in the plan of God through the Spirit because of the work of Christ. Hebrews says it's the substance of things hoped for. Is that not what Abraham was doing right here? Take the land, whatever you want. Go out, take the best portion. If you go that way, I'll go this way. He was acting on faith. Faith is evidence to people that they're trusting in what God will do for them. Based on what God has done for them. Because of Christ's death and resurrection, because without that there's nothing, that is the basis and the entirety upon which true faith is going to actually rest and work. Christ is the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the author of it. He makes it work. He's the finisher of it. There is no faith without the cross, without the nails, without the scourging, without the thorns, without his death, without his resurrection, without his present intercession as high priest. Walking by faith then, trusting in what Christ has done, just as Abram did, for Galatians tells us that the gospel was preached to, to him as well. Walking by faith gets you all the blessings of God in the end. That's exactly what Abraham got. God blesses those who rely on him for their strength. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Isaiah 40, verse 31. In the end, faith gets people the whole land, not just a little piece of it. But you know, Abraham's not stupid. It's not just about land. If it was, he would have told Lot, uh, you go this way, I'm going that way. Remember the words of Christ, blessed are the meek. They'll inherit a little piece of the Roman land. No, they'll inherit the entire earth. But see, that's the difference between passion and patience. That's the difference between Abram and Lot. One is trusting in God by faith. The other is trusting in his own sight by careful inquiry about what looks best to him. And so goes. So how then shall we take this and bring it home to ourselves? Well, it's the difference between having faith and not having faith is very easily measured. It's very easily measured for us. Remember your last trial. What was the last trial that you had to go to? How did you act? What did you say? What did you do? How did you react to what was going on? Was it prayer or complaint? Was it trust? Was it doubt? Was it believing? Was it sinning? Was it relying and trusting on God or was it scheming? John Trapp says this. It is the nature of faith to believe God upon his bare word. It will not be your sense tells you, it cannot be, your reason tells you, but both can and will be, your faith tells you, for God has promised it. Faith works upon the word. Faith is promised based upon the word of God. Faith is saying, O oh Lord, I know because your word says everything will be fine and everything will work out according to your plan. 
So what did Abram do? He threw himself on God's sovereignty. Trusted in God's promise. Didn't scheme, didn't devise. And we must as well. The basis of your faith is not you. It's what God does. It's what Christ did. It is faith based on the plan of God through Christ's work. Knowing full well that God will work on our behalf in everything. We often give lip service to Christ when we believe that we're saved, but put no hope or trust or faith in Christ when strife occurs. We say, somewhat down and depressed, oh, I know he's in control, you know, I'll trust him. But that's so anti-biblical when we talk that way, because what the scriptures tell us to do is rejoice in the Lord Sometimes, no. Rejoice in the Lord a few times, no. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, Philippians 4, 4. Why? Because he is able to work great faith in us, and we are able then to trust him and the work that he will do for us. Faith allows us to overcome any situation because it is blood-based. What does that mean? Well, it's Christ's power which procures faith. He works in us. That kind of faith is the glasses by which we should view the whole world. It should be spectacles which are never taken off. Rather, they should be like permanent contacts. That's how we view the world. If strife, strife with the brethren comes our way, the graciousness of faith will prevail. If trials and tribulations come, if they overtake us, that kind of faith that permanently sets itself on Christ and his work will always help us to overcome. Because it's only in the shadow of his cross and in the light of the resurrection and in light of the present intercession, which is often neglected in preaching, the present intercession of Christ. It's not simply that he died. It's not simply that he rose again. What would be what would be useful is a high priest in heaven at the right hand of God being able to effectuate everything he so desires and sending the Spirit, particularly from his power as the resurrected Messiah King on behalf of his people, and he does that even now. The idea is that he stands and he intercedes for us in everything. And God blesses him, and so in blessing him, he blesses us, and as a result... All things work for the good of those who love God. He stands as our mediator in between. If God's gaze simply looked at us, we would be in a most horrible position. But instead, Christ interceding at the right hand, he's not like he's in heaven, kneeling down on a big rock with a shining light on his head like you've seen in those silly paintings. It's not that. It's that he's standing before the face of the Father with the scars, with the nail holes, with the thorn scars on his brow and in his feet and in his side, he's standing there and the Father looks upon him and as a result accounts or credits to us his work. Faith in that context is completely blood-based. It's as if a man dies and he stands before Christ who is his lawyer. And in standing before God, God says, open the books, 
Let's see the account of his life. And you know that the man has had a wicked past. But as an elect of God, Christ goes over to the book. He opens it up. And if we could use the analogy, every page that he turns, because his hands are bloodied, blots out every page and everything that this man has ever done. And by the time he gets to the end of the book, it's blood soaked. Nothing can be seen except for that blood. And so Christ says, I don't see anything that will condemn this man. That is how God works for his elect. And if God does that, how much more will he not give us all things, as Paul says? Abraham was faith-based. And as a result, didn't mind giving up the best portion of the land a lot. Why? Because he was exceedingly rich? Because he already had so much? Yes, he was exceedingly rich, but that isn't the reason. Because he had a powerful army and he could force the land from Lot. He could take it away from him if he so wanted that piece. Yeah, he could have done that as well. But that's still not the reason. Why was Abram so content in giving it all up? Well, because he was dead to the world. He wasn't looking for just a piece of land. Abram loved God so much that he knew now that God would work on his behalf and he was not the least bit worried. He loved Lot and he wanted the best for him. But he was looking for a heavenly city. The things of the world were quickly fading away for him. And Abram would be more stupid, as Calvin says, than a block of wood to believe that all the promises reside in a tract of land. It's not that. Abram knew it was not that, and that's why Hebrews tells us that he was looking for a heavenly city. You have to ask then what kind of choices you make. How do you go about choosing things in this life? The home that you live in, the car that you drive, the movies you watch, the books you read, what you will do or won't do for other people. All of these depict the kind of person that you are as a Christian. Lot chose things and did things as a result of love of self. He did not have the consideration of his uncle in mind. In the end, it will not only cost him everything he had materially, but it's going to cost him his family. And such choices harden us if we continue to make them wrong. Lot's progression is going to seem very terrible. Right now, he's outside the city. Later, he'll be in the city. Later, the Sodomites will be knocking on his door and he'll want to give up his children to them. It is then easily measured. How we act by faith is easily measured by demonstrating whether we are willing to depart from sin and self and loving the world and to love the things of God. We have to desire to be like Christ. We have to desire to be constantly united to him by faith. And we must desire to please him first and foremost. That is how faith acts. The second thing that we must keep in mind in looking at this particular passage that really screams to us is that we often do not spiritually examine that which is most pleasing to us. Oftentimes we just run headlong into things. Here's an example. Think of the spiritual life of most churches today. It seems that they're prospering. And they are. But, in fact, so did Sodom and Gomorrah. They were quite a big city. Spiritually, are they prospering? That would be the question. 
in the case. It doesn't matter how big a church is or how many people attend or how much money they raise for a new wing or how much ministry they go out and do on behalf of their church. Simply, because the outward works of a given church may seem to be thriving, doesn't mean that they are truly spiritual or that, for that matter, they are even growing in grace. Grace is not measured by such outward appearances that can often be deceiving and are not fully examined to see whether or not such things are even lawful. It's the age-old problem of pragmatism. If it works, then it must be okay. Look, our church is growing really big. Look, we now have enough money to have a Starbucks in the foyer. But what filter do they use? What filter do you use in thinking about those things? All of our choices should be made through filtering things through the Word of God. Whatever church we attend will be based on what we understand and know to be true about God and His self-revelation to us. Our very worship will be filtered through the Word of God and by faith. Nothing spiritually beneficial in your life will ever be accomplished without the Word and without filtering everything through the Word. And if you don't have that kind of faith, to filter all things through the Word, you'll never be able to do what most do throughout the Scriptures. Noah built an ark. By faith he did that. Abram gave Lot the first choice of land. Joseph and the temptations he overcame because of Potiphar's wife. Moses to lead the Israelites for 40 years. Elijah and the false prophets, fire coming down from heaven. Jeremiah in prison. Peter walking on the water. Paul suffering persecution, or just a Christian who is grounded by faith in Christ. We would not be able to imitate Christ if we don't have the kind of faith that sets itself strongly and squarely on the Word of God. Desire, the Scriptures say, the old paths, not these new things that the world thinks that could so easily mix with spiritual things, which they don't. And as we will see next week in dealing with Lot... Examine and test all things by faith. That is the Christian's duty. We are impatient people. All of us here are impatient people. Think about how many times you were waiting at the light and wanted it to change. How many times people cut you off in traffic. Just think about traffic alone. How impatient we are. We are impatient people that want things quickly considered which is really an oxymoron. Quickly considered, that's, if you consider something, you're not doing it quickly. Without being settled in faith, we're going to be anxious. We're going to be worrisome about the things like Lot, the nice things that we see with our eyes. But instead, 2 Corinthians 13:5 says, examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. Galatians tells us, but let each one examine his own work. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 tells us, test all things, hold fast to what is good. 1 John 4.1 says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. The scriptures are replete with all sorts of warnings to us that we are to test everything. We are not to be like Lot. We are to examine everything that we do. The things that we watch, the things that we say, the places we go 
the work that will work, the ministry that will accomplish. Everything is to be done through faith. Abram, he was resting easy. He was giving away the promise of God, so to speak. I mean, it's the land right there. Well, no, Abram was much more smart than that. Instead, he was trusting God. And he was living by faith. He was not living by sight. Lot got into trouble. Abram didn't. Let us imitate the father of our faith, as Paul says in Romans. And let us then examine everything that we do, not by sight and just thinking that it may be a good thing, but by faith in following him in all things. In doing so, we will imitate the life of our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, and all that he did, he did by faith in the Father and trusted him. Even if the cup could pass, he still did his Father's will. We must imitate Christ. We must imitate Abram. We must do it in a manner in which we are not impatient, but that we consider all things in a life of faith. Let's pray and ask that the Lord would bless his word to our mind and heart. Mighty God, even in the midst of strife between Lot and Abram, you gave him the right manner of dealing with his nephew. And we ask, O God, that you would be gracious and merciful, that you would help us to act in the same way as Abram did with Lot. Lot took the best portion of the land because he saw that it was well watered, but he was living, O Lord, by sight. Help us to live by faith in all that we do and all the choices that we make. Let us filter all of them through the word. Let us filter them in a way that gives you all the glory. And let us filter them in a way that causes us to trust you in everything that we do. We so ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L, 3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, 
since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.